Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare how great your love is for us. There has never been, there will never be a God like you, a love that's so true. You sent Jesus Christ, your son, to take on the weight, the sin of the world, my sin. How great is your love. We are so blessed to call you our God, my Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us, for who you are. Thank you for salvation in Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, as you know, last week, and maybe you don't know, but I'll tell you, last week we started a new series called Compelled. And we discovered from 2 Corinthians 5.14 what it means to be compelled by the love of Christ. Gave us the proper definition and understanding of God's love for all people and how that love is supposed to compel us. It's supposed to compel us to do everything. It's supposed to compel our thoughts and our actions. And that view is the lens that we are supposed to view mankind through. We see others from this same perspective, from God's perspective, and so we see them as he sees them. And then we treat others as he sees them and he treats them. And so today, we are going to address that. However, I need to warn you, it is a very difficult topic. It may not seem difficult because it's so elementary, the idea is loving one another. It's difficult because I fail at it way more than I want to. My desire is to accomplish the topic that we're going to discuss today in an increasing manner throughout my life, more and more like Christ. But I know how difficult it is because I struggle with it, and I don't think I'm the only one, so I know it's going to be difficult for all of us. But I also know what Scripture says. So, if you want, you can join me as we look at scripture in this difficult topic and we realize our own shortcomings and we're honest with them with no excuses. We're not going to dismiss scripture. We're not going to shy away from it because maybe it's difficult. We're going to address it head on and we're going to see what it means that when we understand the love of Christ and how that compels us to do a whole list of things, today it compels us to love one another. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we seek your truth. We don't run from it. We don't allow being uncomfortable to dictate whether we seek truth or not. Today, we face truth. And it can be difficult to love one another according to what we are going to discover today in your word. It is messy. It is painful. It is suffering, and we don't get the reward that we wish we would get immediately. Lord, would you direct us to your truth? Would you show us that the reward is the fact that we get to serve an almighty God who gave us Jesus Christ, and let us love one another? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn to John chapter 13? 
We're going to read verses 12 through 16 and verses 34 and 35 as we look to an example of Jesus. Now, before we dive into verse 12, I need to tell you what's happening in chapter 13, verses 1 through 11. And if you have your scripture open to John 13, you're going to see the heading in your Bible says, Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Um, We are not washing feet today, literally, we're not going to. Um, But Jesus, back then, washed the disciples' feet. This is such an amazing act, not only because their feet were filthy, sandals and dust everywhere, right? But because he's the king, This is the savior of the world. So what's happening here is he is going back and forth with some of the disciples saying, I'm going to wash your feet. No, you're not. Yes, I am. No, you're, it's not really that argumentative, but that's the idea. There's rejection there. You can't do that. Look at who you are. So I want to pick up now in verse 12, uh, because he basically says, you're not going to understand what I'm doing for you right in this moment. You don't quite get it, but you will understand. So in verse 12, he picks up. And it says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them this, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Jump over to verses 34 and 35. It's under the heading, a new commandment. Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another, and by this All people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is difficult. I think immediately we want to look at that word love and we want it to mean something else than what we think it means. I think a lot of times we may look at this and we say, I have an idea of what type of love I want to give to that person. So that's the definition that I'm operating from. We're not dealing with that. We're dealing with the actual meaning of the word and the actual meaning of that word is unconditional. If we were to put a list of things on the screen of the conditions of this type of love, it would be none. There are no conditions. So right away at the beginning, I need all of us to understand, myself included, that whatever excuses, whatever list of hurts, whatever things that you want this word to exclude, it doesn't. It's unconditional. There are multiple forms and usages of this particular word, agape, but the common thread in all of those usages, if we were to summarize, means intense, complete devotion. I've said this before, a lot of times we interpret words outside of their meaning. If we say the word complete, what does that mean? Full, complete excluding nothing. So when we think of that word love, get rid of those excuses and look to the meaning intense, complete devotion. It's the same love that's used in John 3.16. It's selfless, endless, limitless. It shows concern and it shows care and it prompts action and it operates without any excuse. 
And this love is a struggle for mankind because it stands in opposition of what is natural. You see, for us, what's natural is self-protection, self-preservation. That's what we do. And so if all of a sudden I have an excuse as to why it would be painful to love someone, then I am typically more important. So then I shut down or I decrease the level of love and I change the definition. And therefore, I disobey what scripture says. I know I'm painting this really black and white, but I told our life group on Friday that I've been obsessed with this idea of excuses lately. And I realize in my own life how many excuses I actually have. I don't always verbalize them, but in my actions, I'm excusing things. That person did this, therefore I react this way. And suddenly if I stack that up against scripture, I'm disobeying God. Okay, so I know I'm painting it really black and light, black and white, but I really want you to see the harshness of our own actions when we stack them up against a righteous, holy God's commands. We're going to be along this journey together as we hold each other accountable and we love each other through the process. So this isn't supposed to drive you into the dirt feeling hopeless, but it should confront those areas that we have excuses it's a struggle for mankind. Matthew 15, 19 actually says this, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. What comes naturally to you in your human nature? All the sin. Loving one another as Christ loved is not this natural thing that we are just magically going to do without help. Philippians 4, 7 tells us why it's so important to love. It says, guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. And so when the love of God fills our hearts, it compels us to love as we are loved by him. Do you understand what that's saying? Last week, we dealt with this idea and this reminder that we are compelled by the love of Christ. And so you have to understand what he has done for you. And in response... You can't help but love others in the same manner. That's the love one another that we're talking about. But we tend to love as we are loved by each other. The goal is we're supposed to love as we are loved by Christ, by the Father. And this is difficult because there's betrayal, there's selfishness, there's hurt when you talk about person to person. And that typically is what starts to compel us. So how in the world are we supposed to show love to someone who has done those things to us? Or maybe they haven't done anything specific. Maybe they're just annoying. You can laugh because I know that everyone in here has someone who is annoying you. That person may be standing right up here on this stage. I don't know, okay? But every one of us has someone who annoys us. So maybe it's not as catastrophic as they betrayed me. Maybe I just don't like their style. What are we supposed to do? This is so hard. It is. It really is hard. But this is where the truth of God's love gets difficult for us to live out. It doesn't mean we reject it or redefine it. It means we embrace it and we say, how do I love as Christ has loved me? How am I supposed to do that? Romans 12 makes it even harder when it says, bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Repay no evil for evil. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Overcome evil with good. These are oppositions. 
And we don't like that because it's not easy and it's not comfortable. But we're going to tackle it. So how can we possibly do that? I mentioned last week that we can't. We cannot do it. If it was just you standing there with another person under your own strength, what comes naturally to your heart as a sinful human? I mentioned it, didn't I? Evil flows from the heart. So on your own, you cannot do it. But it's because of Jesus that you can You have to have a relationship with the one whose love you are supposed to be showing others. And that's where this gets tricky because we want, we desperately want, or I know I want, excuses. But really the excuse is my burden. It's me saying I am not close enough to the Father to love that person. My heart still has areas that I choose self instead of God. It's not anyone else's fault except our own. And now your toes are hurting because they're stepped on. And I told someone on the Levi team this morning that I stepped on my own toes a lot this week. It was hard because I was stacking my actions and thoughts about others against Scripture, and it's painful. But Scripture doesn't compromise. Love one another is very clear. The word love is just as Christ loved. And so how do we do this? We're going to figure it out. The first thing that we need to understand, which is a very quick recap from last week, is that God's love is the source. 1 John 4, 7 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Notice what it says, that love is from God. Love is not from self. Love is not for self. Love is not this spring that comes from within mankind that says I can do this effectively or even remotely wonderful. It's love is from God and we're supposed to love one another. John Piper says this about the passage that we read. This love is only possible because we are grafted into the life and love of Jesus Christ. We love as he loved because we love with his love. So if you are finding yourself throughout this message today that this is really difficult for you, it is. It's going to be difficult to love one another. But you should be connected to the source of the love that you're supposed to be using for other people. You're connected and grafted into the life and love of Christ. And so the core or the source or the heart of having love for one another is the love of God. God loved us and sent Jesus Jesus loved God and went to the cross for us. He even said, it's not my will, but yours, Father. And so his love, his service, his loyalty was to God's plan. That's what Jesus was doing here on earth. It wasn't to any other distraction or feeling or preference. Jesus loved God and his will. And so God is the source. God's love is the source. We see from the passage that I read in John 13, if you were to look at verse 15, you would see the next point. God, or Christ's love, is the example. He even tells the disciples in verse 15, for I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. The example is Christ. If you are connected to the source and the source that's motivating, compelling you to love one another is God and you're wondering, how do I do this effectively? What example could you possibly use to see? 
Jesus, I have given you an example, he tells the disciples. This is what you're supposed to do. Now, does that mean right now you're supposed to drop everything, run to the kitchen, get a bucket of soapy water, and start washing everyone's feet? No. He says, yes, Christopher is going to give a foot rub and foot bath after the service. No. No, but sometimes we get caught up in these details and we go, you mean to tell me that I literally have to wash someone's feet? Is that an excuse? What if you're supposed to? Are you going to do it? Are you going to argue with the love one another statement that Jesus said? That is an example of how a heart of love for someone would submit themselves to that other person and be humble and do something that maybe is not in your wheelhouse. Would you do it if Jesus said? And the answer should be yes. Some of you know how much I do not like feet. Would I wash your feet? I might gag, but I'll do it. The idea behind that example is the heart. Do I have the heart for that person that I'm going to do something that maybe I don't love? Am I going to say that I am on a lower level than that person, stooping down in maybe my authority, my pride, my whatever? In humility, I am saying to that person, I'm loving you. That's the example. And so what we see from Christ's love is the example. The first is humility. He even asks the disciples, do you understand what I have done to you? After he washed their feet, he says, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. These are positions of authority. These are terms that they recognize who Jesus is. And he says, you call me those things and you're right because I am. So if I, in those positions of authority, I, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, God in the flesh, if I am washing your feet, pretty sure you can wash one another's feet. That's what Jesus is saying here. He is the example in his humility. He's, in the, he's the example in his sacrifice. You see, this example of stooping down to serve someone else, in his sacrifice, we look at the cross. The ultimate sacrifice that Jesus paid. Death on the cross for us. So in his humility, in his sacrifice, and in his suffering, you recognize that Jesus suffered in his life both physically and emotionally. But in this suffering, he washed their feet. All of them. Do you know who was in this crowd of people? His disciples? A betrayer. Someone who was actively pursuing how to sell Jesus off just so he could get a leg up with some silver. So he washed the feet of a betrayer. So you might be wondering, yeah, but that person betrayed me. Okay, Christ is the example. What's your argument? I mean, let's just keep it real simple. Christ is the example. He washed the feet of someone who was going to betray him and he treated them with love and humility and suffering and sacrifice. So there was a betrayer there. There was someone who was going to deny him. One of his disciples was going to say, oh, it's more convenient for me to just ignore the fact that I'm associated with Jesus right now. Did he wash his feet or not? Are there exclusions to love one another? There are not. Jesus Christ is the example. And we notice as we jumped forward into verses 34 and 35, it actually says there's a new commandment I'm giving you. The new is not in relation to the commandment because the commandment to love one another, love your neighbor, existed back in Leviticus chapter 19. 
What's new about this is in Leviticus, it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But now it says, instead of neighbor, love one another. And instead of as yourself, it gives Christ as the example. Love as I have loved you. So the newness has no exclusions. There weren't exclusions before, but now they're being redefined. They're being more exhaustive in their definition. And all of a sudden we see it without any sort of excuse that we can make. Jesus Christ is the example. Previously, the disciples were identified by physically following Jesus as he went around and ministered. People could actually observe that group of people is following that person, so they are his followers. But now, Jesus is going to be leaving, and there's a brand new way that they are going to be identified as disciples. And it was by loving one another as Christ loved. So now all of a sudden, this is a stamp of who you are. You can't just physically wander around with a person to be identified. You have to have the character traits of that person. So now you are identified as a disciple. So Jesus Christ is the example. God's love is the source. What does this verse say about who gets this love? We've said one another a whole bunch, but let's just keep it simple. Others are the recipients of that love. Other people. So as we are fed by the love of Jesus Christ, we are motivated by it, we are compelled to act. Where does that love go? To this select group of people? No. Love one another. Others are the recipients. This is difficult. All of this is hard to wrestle with. And I mentioned at the beginning that these things stand in opposition to what our impulse may be. But the gospel is full of these oppositions, right? The first shall be last. The least shall be the greatest. The guilty shall become innocent because of Jesus. The master came to serve and wash their feet. These are hard things to comprehend. So there is no part of today that is going to assume that you are able to walk out of here a master at it. The goal is that you walk out of here understanding that you need to be better connected to the master so that you can do it as he commanded. Others are the recipients. Suffering is going to happen. Because in order to serve someone, in order to love someone, it means that you can't love yourself as effectively in that moment. And by loving yourself, I don't mean hating, like the opposite of not loving yourself is not hating yourself. It means putting yourself in a worse position than them. Willing to say, I'm going to humble myself because I elevate that person. This is difficult for us to comprehend. And a lot of times we get tired from doing it. You may say, I always talk about these checklists, and I think believers, followers of Christ operate in these checklists for checking their own spiritual maturity. And a lot of times I think we have a checkbox that says, serve someone. And so every week or maybe every month or maybe, maybe once a year, you're going, oh, this checkbox is still empty. I'm going to help this person. I'm done. I served them. A lot of times we operate that way. And mainly we do that because as we serve people, we get tired. Anybody ever get tired? Tired of helping? Tired of being the one who's patient and kind and loving and serving? And you look around and you go, that person never serves. That person is always blunt and rude. That person is this. That person is that. You know what? I'm tired of this. That's a lot of times how we operate. And a lot of times our response when we tire of loving someone is to do what? 
We back away from them. Camera doesn't like when I do this. We back away from them, right? And suddenly we get reclusive and we say, that's how I'm going to feel better about this. But did you know you're supposed to do the opposite? When you tire of serving someone, when you tire of loving someone, you go closer to the source so that you can be fed. And a lot of times the way to get closer to the source is to keep serving as he served because you're understanding him deeper by serving even in the suffering, even in the sacrifice, even in the tired. And you actually will recognize that as you serve more and more and love others more and more, you're growing closer to Jesus Christ. So we have to stop operating with excuses or opposites, and we have to embrace the fact that the gospel is going to change your life. It's going to compel you to do things that aren't natural to you, but it should compel you to grow closer to Jesus Christ. And so others are the recipients of that love. And now Jesus says in John 13, your love is now the example. I'm going away. People used to be able to look at my love in the flesh, but now Jesus is going away and the disciples are given this. You now are the example of love. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You're now the example of the love of Christ for the world. The people that need to see it, they're going to see your love and they're going to say, wait, that doesn't look right. Or they're going to say, whoa, look at that love. You are now the example of love. This type of love can only come from God. So already, if you're going excuses, I'm tired, that's difficult, I know. And that's why it's so important to say and remind ourselves it only can come from God. And when other people see it, because it only comes from God, it should be easily identified that it's not that that person is really great at loving, it's that that person's love is unique, and the only type of love that can ever be known in that way is the love of God. So that must mean that that person is a follower of God. They must be relying on some other type of love that I've never seen before, because I don't have that love. You're right, because it only comes from the source, and then I, in it and it identifies you immediately as a follower who belongs to Jesus. It's that birthmark of being born again. You could wear a sweatshirt that says Jesus follower. You could get a tattoo. You could come to church every Sunday. You could host a Bible study. You could drop off a pie. You could do any of those types of things. Do you know how many people in the world do those types of things out of just normal kindness? The love of Christ who loves the unlovable, who in any situation says, I will take the suffering so that I can put that person as more important than myself. That's the love that we're talking about that identifies you as a follower of the one whose love it is, a follower of Jesus Christ. First John has some things to say about love. It says in chapter three, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And in chapter 2, 1 John says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. You see, the lost need to see and feel the love of Jesus, and you are the example of that love. Other believers need to see and feel the love of Jesus. And yes, you are the example of that love. Does this mean now that we've been equipped with this, that 
We're going to do it perfectly? No. But especially in the body of Christ, we should understand the imperfection of man. Anyone in here think that on their own doing they're perfect? No. How many times do you hold someone else accountable to being perfect? Then when they make a mistake, you go, oh, that offended me. I'm done with that person because they didn't do it perfectly. What a statement of pride. We have to love one another. And within this body of believers of Jesus Christ, when someone makes a mistake, we should go, I know, I do it too. Let's love each other through it. Let's help each other out. The love of Jesus is what's compelling me. Not my own comfort level, not my own understanding of mankind. It's my understanding of mankind through God's love and his view of mankind. And so in the body of Christ, it's going to be tough. But we should be the most forgiving to one another about this. You see, we are miraculously changed by the Spirit into someone who has a new heart and a new love for the Father, a new love for Jesus Christ, our Savior, a new love for his followers. And I wrote in my notes, and I'm going to say it, and honestly, we need to start living like it. We need to start acting like it. I am full of all of the excuses. I have them. You have them too. So instead of looking down on each other, we say, let's do this together. We need to act like we have a transformed heart and a transformed life, life of transformed mind that says and looks at others through his eyes with his love. And we say, man, this is great that we get to do this together. And suddenly the world sees patience like they've never seen before. They see love and acts of kindness like they've never seen before. They see forgiveness that can't be found anywhere else in the world except inside the body of Christ because of Jesus Christ. That's what it looks like. So very quickly, I have a whole other page that I'm going to try to get through. I want you to see what the application is. And it's two passages. Because... I could stand up here and tell you what I want to see the church look like in acts of love and loving one another, but why don't we just use scripture, right? So I want you to see two passages of scripture. If you want to look them up, Philippians chapter 2 is one of them, and 1 Corinthians 13, and you might go, oh, that's so stereotypical. Take the love chapter from 1 Corinthians 13. Yes, you're right. It's scripture. It deserves repeating. And it deserves mastering, and none of us have done it yet, so let's do it. So the application is found in these two passages, but I want to I read them, and then I want to ask you some questions that come straight from the terminology in Scripture. I should probably look them up myself, shouldn't I? Philippians chapter 2 is the first one. And I want to read to you verses 1 through 8. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others." Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, 
But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So I have some questions from that exact passage. Am I in Christ? I want you to answer that for yourself. Are you in Christ? And if you say yes, then you're going to find encouragement in that new identity and you're going to strive for unity with one another. You're going to love one another. Are you comforted by the love of Christ? If you are, then you're going to comfort others in that same way without restriction. Am I full of joy because of the unity that I now have in or with God because of Jesus? And if you say yes to that, then I'm going to make my goal to be of the same mind and of the same love with unity, loving one another as my driving force. Philippians paints out some different standards or some different characteristics, and I want to turn them into questions for you to answer. Am I doing anything from selfish ambition or conceit? Am I humble in this moment and counting the other person as more significant than myself? Am I irritable? Oh, that's the next one, sorry. Am I looking to the interests of others or just myself? Am I a servant? These are all practical things that as you interact with people who annoy you, who make you mad, who you just can't understand how you're going to forgive them, ask yourself what scripture says should, it should look like. Am I being selfish in this moment? Am I really putting that person ahead of myself? And if you say that you are putting that person ahead of yourself, then wonderful. But if at any moment you're like, no, I'm acting selfish in this, then you're the one who's wrong. I'm the one who's wrong. That's what scripture is saying. I want to read, I'm not going to read the passage in 1 Corinthians. I'm going to turn it all into questions. But if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, you can follow along and see exactly where I got these questions from. As you interact with people, as you struggle to love one another, ask yourself these things. And if you are doing all of these questions perfectly, then maybe, just maybe, it's the other person's problem. I don't think any of us are going to get through all of these questions and say that we do them perfectly. Here's the questions from verses 4 through 8 in 1 Corinthians 13. Am I patient? Am I kind? Am I envying or boasting? Am I arrogant? Am I rude? Am I insisting on my own way? Am I irritable? Am I resentful? Am I rejoicing in wrongdoing? Or am I rejoicing in the truth? Am I bearing all things and believing all things and hoping all things and enduring all things? Those are the things that we need to ask ourselves because that's what scripture says love is. Love is all of those things. It is not boastful and resentful or selfish or irritable. It is not those things. And so if you are compelled by the love of Christ to compel love, compelled to love one another, then those things will be true about how you love one another. And they will be true in their fullness. Because the difficulty is when you ask yourself, am I patient? You can say, yes, I was patient in that little moment. No, no, no. Are you so patient with that person over and over and over again to its fullness? And so again, I know this may be coming off as harsh, but I want to join with you in the understanding that we cannot do this on our own. It has to be powered by the one whose love it is, and that is Jesus Christ because of his love for God, and it was God's love 
that loved us so much that it sent, that he sent a savior for us. That's what's compelling us. That's what's driving all of this. So in those moments where you don't treat each other with love, where you know that you're not doing scripture and his command the way that he wants, what's your response? To back away and call yourself a failure? No, it's to recognize the grace of God that even in your failure, he is right there. He sent his son while you were a sinner. He reaches into the pit and says, I'm going to help you. I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. And it's because of his power that we can resemble anything that looks like his love. But we have to be open to doing it. We have to say, that's what I strive for because I am compelled from the source. I shifted the time that we normally have right before the message that we call Selah. I shifted it today and I invite the worship team to come out because when Alexi was picking out the different songs for today, I heard this one that he played, and I said, this is not one that everyone can sing along with. But what if we used it during our time of reflection today? What if this was our time of Selah, as we just got done wrestling with what Scripture says about loving one another and how it's supposed to look, and so many of us are going, this is so difficult. Let's take a moment. Let's connect to the source of that love. So, as they sing this song, this is geared towards a time of reflection. The words of this song speak the truth of what that love is supposed to look like. And I'm excited to know that this room is full of people who haven't walked out yet because they've been offended by this message, which means there's got to be a little bit a part of you that says, I want that. I want to love in that way. I want to be loved in that way. And so collectively, let's refresh ourselves and let's reflect while they sing this song.